This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Patterson Program, where you'll learn how to improve your health from the inside out. And now, your host, Clint Patterson. Welcome everyone to the Patterson Podcast. I've got Andy with me on this episode, who's a lovely chap. G'day, Andy. Good evening, uh, Clint. (laughs) Now, Andy is a member of our community forum and a big inspiration to many people because he's had, uh, I think your diagnosis originally, sciatic arthritis, we'll hear about in a second, but uh, he's had inflammatory arthritis for many, many years and he's been doing fabulously in the last, oh gosh, improvements from the last 12 months, but certainly in the last sort of three or four months. So, Andy, we're really looking forward to hearing your story in more detail. I'm looking forward to explaining lots more about it. (laughs) So take us back to uh, where the problems began. Tell us what happened. After university, my first job, I wanted to exercise and so I had my bicycle. Uh, After one winter, I got my bicycle out, went for a bike ride and came back. So probably about 23, four, five, six years old, something like that. And came back from the bike ride and thought, oh, my leg's stiff. So like a lot of people with arthritis, it suddenly sprang upon me. Mm-hmm. I thought, I'll just rest up. By next morning, I couldn't walk. Wow. My legs were like tree trunks, and I went into hospital, and I was there for something not not six months, but it took six months of recovery with lots of physiotherapy to get me walking again. It was Determined to be psoriatic arthropathy. I had lots of steroids in my knees, lots of excruciating taking off the fluid where the needles go into the bone and all that kind of thing. (laughs) Not something I would want to experience again. Since that beginning, once I was mobile, my life roughly came back to normal. I had steroids for every six months with rheumatologists for let's say a couple of years, but after three or four years, it all stabilized out. And I just needed some tablets to deal with occasional flares, occasional problems. In the long term, that ended up being diclofenac sodium tablets. Typically, I would get through around a blister pack a year. Oh, yeah, not too bad. So, not too bad, really quite stable, to which I put down in my own mind, to a vegetarian lifestyle. We're talking about going back to the late 1970s here. Mm -hmm. And I went vegetarian in 1979, and I thought I was on a pretty good diet. I thought this was really quite healthy, very, you know, um, and lots of uh, a whole food-style diet. Really, my psoriasis was stable. Nothing mattered. And I was a happy bunny. Uh, Okay, life wasn't perfect. I couldn't kneel. I've never been able to kneel properly since the arthritis blew up, psoriatic arthropathy blew up, and my right arm uh, there, uh, that's about as straight as I can get it. Mm -hmm. I think it was a little bit better in the last short time. It's got worse, but I can't straighten that arm. And so that's been the kind of third major problem. At the time when it was diagnosed, 
they said I had uh, arthritis in all my joints, my jaw, my shoulders, my hip, any joint you want to mention. But they never really caused me much of a problem over the years. So I was really quite pleased about that. And I put that down to my lifestyle, playing badminton weekly, swimming a lot, walking with friends at weekends, and you know, not too bad a lifestyle. Yeah, so lots of exercise, a lot of sort of social exercise and a vegetarian diet at that time. I think so. And that yep. was really stood me in good stead. Yeah. But. <laughs> Big but. <laughs> Unfortunately, my uncle died at the same time as my son got married. And something in my brain, I just could not accept the two at the same time. Right. Okay. In, it just emotionally, I felt that was something I couldn't deal with. And I explained it to my wife and she understood. And so when it came to my uh, son's wedding party, she did all the honours. Yeah. And I just took a back seat. Mm-hmm. But if you look at my blood test results, it all stems from that moment right? Uh, in time. So that's what I personally, in my, in my heart, put it down to. I just couldn't emotionally deal with that. So what I did next was I thought, well, this is okay. I've got a flare. I started taking the diclofenac tablets I'd uh, done many years before. And because it was on repeat prescription, I just went back to the chemist and got some more, mm. back to the pharmacy, got some more, and I just kept on popping mm. these tablets. It didn't solve the problem, so I went to see the doctor. The doctor put forward uh, an appointment with a rheumatologist. So this is kind of weeks and months beginning to roll by a bit. From May, we're into the June-July period. Meanwhile, I'm getting no better, still popping my pills. Um, get to see the rheumatologist. Uh, gives me steroid injection into the knee, which stabilises it. Um, but that probably only lasts for a month or so in terms of giving me relief. Yep. So back to pill popping, uh, waiting on the next appointment with the rheumatologist. Yep. So we come up to November 2015, so we're about six months later. This has been diagnosed in July as rheumatoid arthritis now, and my legs are looking awful. I'm in excruciating pain. Yep. But because of being popping the pills, the doctor says I can't give him methotrexate because of all I can't of the put you on any, all the painkillers because the liver is seriously damaged. Oh wow! The liver is in a really bad way. Right. So being fairly clued into the internet, I do a lot of research. One thing I come across is that avocados are one of the best things you can get for your liver. So I start popping these instead of the pills. The doctor says no more pills. He tries me on naproxen. Uh, I'll try that for less than a month and I have a really bad reaction. So I put naproxen to one side and he starts giving me some codeine tablets uh, and I can't remember what else, but none of the disease-modifying drugs. Okay. Nothing like that. Okay. So we are in around Christmas time and I'm go and stay with friends over New Year, uh, hoping to get an appointment till in the New Year, feeling increasingly bad, 
one of the phrases that I've come across, I think you've used it for your own body, is the uh, feeling of walking on shards of glass. Yes. I had lots of pain in my feet whenever I walked. I just could not walk. And that was uh, probably, in hindsight, I would like to think I'd have done something about it to deal with that exercise-wise, but it was just so painful. Rest was the only thing that was on my agenda. Mm -hmm. Lots of television. (laughs) Yes. uh, Lots of research on the internet. I one of the things besides finding avocados was I watched Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead in late 2015, and so I bought myself a juicer and started to juice. But I couldn't, I couldn't understand how to use that to deal with my problem. I couldn't see me living on a juice diet for the rest of my life. Yes. I couldn't see a pathway. I was at a, I was on that. Well, I knew I had something going because when I took the juice, it was doing some good and giving you some short-term relief, but I wasn't seeing my way through the problem. Mm-hmm. Yes. So New Year came, more doctor's appointments. The doctor said, yes, your liver is improving we need to get you to see the rheumatologist and get the rheumatologist to confirm that you can start the methotrexate. Right. So that means waiting another month or so. And I think I had a, probably a steroid injection to help me keep going. With your, particularly your knees. It was the knees that were getting the injection. Yeah. The knees always get the injection. Yep. Take the fluid off, steroid into both knees. Yep. So that meant that January is actually quite a pleasant month yeah. in terms of being able to operate. And I thought, oh, if only I can have steroids for the rest of my life. Yeah. But of course you can't. They have other unwanted side effects of their own. And it's clear the doctor wasn't keen. The doctor said, I can give you a steroid injection in six weeks, two months' time, but no more than that, no yeah. more frequently than that. Yeah, my doctor said to me, because I had the same train of thought with regards to my right elbow at one point and also the left knee, he said that the current studies seem to indicate that if a one of the major joints being elbows, knees, hips, shoulders, they can tolerate four injections a year before at least the science shows that it starts to weaken the integrity of the joint. So he was comfortable to go every quarter with me but uh of course um you know i was i only had uh, the knee done after i'd done 90 95 of my healing work on my gut so i only needed the one injection on the left knee and it has never had inflammation ever again so it was you know it was remarkable so okay i mean the, the effect of the steroid injection in january was i mean it had an immediate effect i had to have it done at the hospital and I couldn't walk up the stairs. I had to go up in the lift to the see the rheumatologist. The rheumatologist injected me, and I was able to walk down the stairs. It's amazing. So yeah. as an immediate fabulous relief from the problem, instant solution to the problem, beautiful. Yeah, and I as agree. As a long-term and, solution. Yeah, not as a long-term solution, but I encourage people to certainly consider it as a uh, – a low impact medical intervention if they have you know just one or two joints 
where uh, heavily affected, particularly big joints, where everything else feels pretty good, especially if they've been doing, you know, very good with their discipline on their diet and exercise for a long period of time, like I did. Yeah. I actually, I, I regret not doing it earlier because I thought, I thought I'm on top of this. I know what's going on here. I understand what's going on with my body. Why do I have one joint in my body that's not responding? I'm going to get it over the line so I can prove to myself that this works. But what was happening in my case, and not to steal your story here, but just to just to close off on this, is that in the baker's cyst behind my knee, it seems that I had a closed environment. There was no it seemed that there was no circulation of the fluids or inflammation in that knee yeah. with the rest of my body. And so it was this it was this isolated pocket of inflammation that wasn't interacting well or it wasn't leaking out into the rest of the bloodstream appropriately. And so once it was removed, it stayed removed. And so I could have been trying to work on that knee for another 12 months of Bikram every single day, baseline diet. And like, I may never have gotten rid of that without that needle interjection. So sometimes there's a very good reasoning. Yeah. So what happened at the end of January? So I found the Patterson program online and like a lot of people, very skeptical, but it rang a bell. Probably took me a couple of weeks into February to decide Yes, I'm going to give it a go. The cost isn't too high. This feels like it could actually do something. And I was at the end of my tether. So, you know, because the steroid was wearing off. So I bought the program. I downloaded it and I researched. And like everyone who downloads it, you start to read and you read and you do not stop reading. It's just devour every last word every page and get it right. I didn't start because we booked a holiday in northern France in Picardy. So we decided to walk, drive over to Picardy. My wife thought I needed a good break. And I thought a holiday is not the right time to start a program. I need to be at home. So beautiful holiday where lovely environments and we would drive somewhere and my wife wanted to walk around this chateau and I got out of the car and I said, I can't, I've got to get back into the car. I just cannot walk more than 10 paces. Even walking 10 paces from the car was excruciating because all the steroids had worn off. So holiday, not ruined, very enjoyable. Um, I must fill in a little bit. I had done some dietary changes. I'd begun to give up gluten and experimenting with that and improving the number of vegetables I was eating and so on. So when I came back to the UK, I decided that was the moment I would actually start the program. Mm -hmm. So I did. Now, I cannot remember exactly. It's important to, I would like to be able to say honestly, when I started the methotrexate, I think that was after I came back from France as well. There's something I learned about methotrexate, which is, uh, I think, quite important for anyone considering going on it. The doctors like to increase it, get you on it a little bit, test the water, make sure you're not reacting too badly against it, and then increase the dose quite extensively. 
the principle being that they want to kind of kill the arthritis dead, metaphorically speaking. And so that's their strategy. So when people go to methotrexate, they want to, the doctors and rheumatologists want to keep on increasing the dose. I, like a lot of other people interested in alternative remedies, rejected that and wanted to keep on a lower level. I'm now not quite sure that was the right thing to do because the key thing of methotrexate is to help avoid bone and joint damage. Now, I'm not sure whether I lost out there, like you're saying a moment ago about should you have had steroids at some point. So it's, again, a negotiation with doctors and rheumatologists. But I was really scared they were going to increase, move me on to biologics and other things, and I just did not want that. Mm-hmm. So when they put me on to uh, 10 milligrams of methotrexate, I stuck on that religiously. Mm-hmm. I refused to budge. Mm-hmm. That was my thing. I actually increased much later on, which we might come to, uh, but at some point I moved on to 12 and a half, okay. a small increase. Yeah, that's not much. Yeah. Okay. So you're yeah. running at this point, at this point, you're doing something that makes the results a little cloudy. You're running on methotrexate and you're also running on the program at the same time. So yes, given that it takes about three weeks for the methotrexate to kick in, there might have been a period of uncertainty as to what was going on. But talk, talk us through. The methotrexate for me didn't kick in until about two months. Really? Okay. It was about two months delay, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. All right. And so I actually had a, quite a good feel for the part of the program, now that I remember, uh, beginning to kick in. So um, I started the program. Actually, I went to visit some friends who were vegetarians as well, and I knew I could trust them, and I thought this was the weekend when I would start it. They they understand dietary needs pretty well. And so with my wife, we went down, had a big bunch of friends, and uh, I got my juicer with me and started... I'd been on uh, just plain water for two days. Oh, wow. That was my own personal decision. I just started on water. But when I got down to my, visit my friends, I moved on to the cucumber and celery juice. And it was bliss. I was in seventh heaven because I, there was that cherry moment. I just knew, which is what your program is designed to do, to give people that feeling that this is a life-changing moment. And it did it for me. I knew I I had more mobility, not total relief, but certainly significant relief from the pain. The inflammation was still there. And it was really interesting because on the cucumber and celery, which didn't taste fabulous, but... Okay, yeah. okay, I was uh, taking it quite play. Um, I had no jealousy of what other people were eating. <laughs> that night, we had a bunch of about 15 friends, and they all had a big takeaway Indian meal, you know, piles of good curry, which I would have equally been happy to devour. <laughs> but I was in seventh heaven. I was happy. I sat with them, and I drank my juice, perfectly happy Mm. because I knew I was beginning to see a way forward out of my hellhole. Yeah, because no food tastes as good as pain relief feels, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I've learned that. 
so much. Uh, we might, might come on to that later if we don't run out of time. But, uh, yeah, certainly the sweetness of being able to walk out away from a meal that you've digested and know that you've got no pain is a very beautiful feeling. They can have no ramifications from it whatsoever is fabulous because that means you've got the tools to live a full life for a very long time with no recurrence of arthritis, that you can manage your pain. That realisation that not just you're pain-free then, but you're going to be able to deal with other pain. You're going to be able to avoid pain in the future. Absolutely. And I know that that's where you're at now. You know, you know that now, and, and obviously now we're skipping forward to the present sort of time to be able to have a way of eating that meets your nutritional requirements, that meets your energy requirements, that minimizes all of the disease symptoms for rheumatoid, but also for the potential risk of getting other diseases. I mean, it's a wonderful feeling and it's so reassuring. And yeah. I think, you know, we were talking in our, you know, support forum the other day about this topic of, you know, what does it feel like to have remission? And, uh, you know, I, I personally don't like that word. And I like to think of the whole experience of being or, or the goal of what we're trying to achieve to be completely and confidently controlled by our own lifestyle decisions. And I think that yeah. that is blissful life and it gives you a great level of self-satisfaction, of achievement and of, of self-worth because we have to fight to get there. And it's a and it's fight. And it's, it's a fight. It's yes. a fight. Yeah, it's a um, it's a fight. There's no doubt about it. It's the biggest fight I've ever undertaken. It's every day, every minute. When it takes you twenty minutes to go to the toilet from the bathroom to to the from the bed to the bathroom, and when you get back to your bed, it takes you five minutes to recover before you can think about lying down in bed. And then you've got to build up strength to move the covers over your body because your arms aren't working and they're in such pain. And you have to use your mouth to pull the bed covers because you can't use your hands. Absolutely. Yeah. That's I, real pain. That's 100%. I can relate to all of that. I've, I'll never forget one time I described, I can't remember what format I was in, whether I was speaking on, I think I was on spoke on stage and talked about pulling the I used to pull the, the, the duvet cover over me with my teeth because my wrists elbows and fingers couldn't do it yeah and someone came up to me afterwards and 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 sheepishly waited for the sort of crowd to disperse and waited 20 or 30 minutes for me to stop talking to other people and so forth and came up to me and said I've got rheumatoid and that that technique you described about pulling your tech pulling your covers over with your teeth that's a really good technique. I'm going to use that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was expecting you to say you poor thing. And, it, and, but instead she's like, Oh, you know, like there's a strategy. And just to think that we have to get to this point where we're having to use our jaw power to pull things. I mean, yeah. it, it is a horrific condition. Oh, I've learned to be so organized because I need everything in exactly the right place in my bedroom. Because if it's not, then I can't get dressed in the morning on, 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 a, on a, I mean, my bad days. You know, it would take me two hours to get dressed in the morning. Wow, two to get, hours to get dressed. It's just not a, bad, not a good place to be. No. Well, my worst, 
my my CRP uh, C reactive protein was over 170. Mm. I was in a really bad way. You know, that's milligrams per liter. So this is all down to, and I think in hindsight, it's down to the Diclofenac tablets that I took and postponing the eventual take-up of methotrexate. You know, had I not had those, I might have speeded up and got had a smoother ride. Maybe. Yeah, 170 milligram per liter. I think the I think I've only ever heard of one person ever being over 200. So you're right up there. And I did a, uh, a one-on-one consultation recently with a guy and he was up around the one, 100 and something. Um, when I was first diagnosed, I was like yeah. 56 or something. So yeah, you're right up there. So let's bring listeners up to speed with where you are today. Let's, let's talk about now the recoveries that you've made, the changes that you've made to your lifestyle and some of the real improvement areas for comparison to what you've described in your past. Okay. So if we can, so I'm going through the program and I mean, we have blood tests done every month and the signs are good. It's coming down steadily. And yes, it could be mixed. It could be methotrexate. It could be the diet, but definitely there's a steady drop of the C-reactive protein slowly, but surely. Come forth. So I started both program on roughly the methotrexate in March, April. So if we fast forward to August, I was in a place where I could walk to the end of the road. I had a really good couple of days mid-August, whereas uh, one day I actually walked uh, eight miles, mm. and that was just totally fabulous. But I couldn't hold on to that good health. I, I would go back into a low space and I was really annoyed with myself whether it was because I wasn't following the program accurately enough because I was trying to do my own thing and interpret in my own rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hadn't given up oils at this stage and that's where I put a lot of it down to. Okay, just repeat that because just repeat that because you said that really quickly. It's, it's important to really <laughs> say this slowly for everyone to hear. I put it. I put it down to the fact that I had not given up oils. Good. <laughs> come on. I was going to come on to that in September. Okay. I had another really good. My I had other problems. A lot of people. It turns out with arthritis, uh, uh, RA have anemia. I had anemia, so my doctor bu- booked me in for a colonoscopy. That didn't show anything then booked me for an endoscopy, uh, and that didn't show anything. But the endoscopy was in early September. The feature of the endoscopy is that you empty your bowels, a second cherry moment. So you eliminated all of the sort of waste products from within your intestines and uh, colon, and as a result of that, you suddenly felt amazing again? I was able to walk over 10 miles across the countryside, on my own, I was on top of the world. I was thinking, I want this to last. I went in for the endoscopy, no problems from uh, no cancer showing, no signs of anything to do anemia or whatever else triggers. So all clear on the Western Front. And I thought, I'm feeling good, but I could not hold on to my good signs 
and I was so annoyed. I thought, I want to start Bikram, but I couldn't start it. Why? And I thought, what can I change in my diet? <laughs> Oils. <laughs> right. And so, you know, just it's a really tough life when you're on a tight diet. And my wife wanted to treat me. You're on such a tough diet, Andy. Have a chocolate bar. Good heart, dark chocolate, 70%, but it's got oils in. All right. And I eventually was able, uh, able to get into my own head. I don't say it was my wife's problem. It's my problem into my own head that I simply had to say no, 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 and then I began to improve. It took all through September for me to get clear and to feel good enough to get to Bikram. I was annoyed with myself, but I, my health improved sufficiently, and I knew that in my from things that have been said in the forum, things you've said, that if I start Bikram, this was a chance to really step the play, to step, step up the game. Yeah. October the 6th. Awesome. 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 If this were a um, a live play, it would be uh, you know time for a uh, a new scene. You know, new scene. <laughs> it would. It would. It would. And and the scene would and the scene would be a bunch of people wearing very scant scant clothing, lying around on yoga mats, all looking like they're not looking forward for what's about to happen for the next ninety minutes. And then Andy comes well, in. Andy comes in struggling with your two knees and your stiff right elbow with your sore feet, but feeling optimistic. Oh, it was so painful going to that yeah. going to that first session. Was so physically painful, opening and closing the car doors. I was frightened I was not going to be able to park close enough because I couldn't walk very far. Struggled to walk in. I'd phoned them up before and then said, I've got a really bad arthritis. Are you okay with that? They said, they were very welcoming. I walked in, tough time walking up the stairs, not pleasant. And then I walk in and there's all these women in very slim. And I thought, what am I doing here? You thought, why did I wait so long to come to this? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was was a really emotional experience. It was a roller coaster, that first session, because... I couldn't do anything. Yeah. There's always advice at a Bikram session. Don't do anything you can't do. Just stand in the warmth. And that's pretty well what mostly what I did. Mm-hmm. There's never encouragement for you to do more than is right for you. Always go to what's right for you. And that I've followed religiously ever since. But that first session, I cried. I cried. I thought, I'm a cripple. I do not deserve to be here. This is for a, a healthy person. These people are healthy. They can do back bends. They can do anything. I can't do anything here. I can't lift my arms above my, you know, I, the highest I could get my arms for the breathing was about there. Yep. Uh, the initial pranayama and just uh, everything was painful. And when it came to the, uh, so the three parts of Bikram, there's warm-up, which is about 30 minutes. There's balancing. I couldn't balance. That's 30 minutes and and uh, you know, all the rest of it. 
And then there's floor exercises. I told them I can't get to the floor. It took two people to lift me with the help of a chair to get me down to the floor. And I just lay on the floor. And I did not very do very much. And at the end of the session, 30 minutes later, I needed two people to help me lift up me up to get me vertical again. That was my first session. It was not pleasant in any way, shape or form, but I, I'd been to it. I'd been to it. And I thought, I'm going to come back again. Yeah, I remember that. I'm not going to let this go. <laughs> I remember you talking about it and uh, you received a lot of support and congratulations and encouragement and you could just tell that a light, a little light bulb had gone off inside of you, like something had switched and you, you'd found something that you were about to really apply yourself to. And uh, a bit of a spoiler, you've sent me a video today and uh, I can, I'm amazed at, you know, the flexibility that you are displaying in the video that you sent through to me, especially just compared to what you've just described. So, I mean, tell us now, how, I mean, we're going now, that's been about say five months four or five months yeah, yeah tell us how you are now in class and give us a bit of a summary now in the next over the next few minutes of how your body is now in bikram how it is when you wake up compared to where you were before and just your whole outlook on your condition it took from the i i, I decided in my own mind i've been once i can do it again and i've been every weekday ever since without missing a, 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 a thing. If I missed one in the middle of the week, I'd made up for it at the weekend, right? And that has paid huge dividends. By the Christmas, I was able to get up and down from the floor without help from anybody, using the chair and then some bars, ballet bars at the end of the room. I was able to get up and down the floor all by myself independence of anybody else that was christmas christmas break i didn't do anything because we're visiting family and friends so no bikram over christmas week and i was really worried that i would uh, have a, a setback but i didn't i it, what i what was in there was locked in solid the improvements i've made beginning to do some balancing by that but let's move forward about Less than three, four weeks ago, I had to go away for a week and I went to another Bikram centre and they didn't have my usual ballet bars, so they had a chair. And the teacher, who I knew, teased me. He took the chair away. And then he brought the chair back and I thought to myself, no, no, it can leave the chair away. I'm going to do this. And so it may have taken me sort of five minutes to get down to the floor with a crash and a bump and a real worry because I'd never used my wrist like that. But I got down and at the end I got back up again and it took me probably about 15, 20 minutes to kneel and work out how physically I could do it because I couldn't use my hands. That was about three weeks ago. I'm now doing it and using my hands and it's just gradually every day I'm beginning to be able to get up off the floor 
and being independent. And that is such a big thing for someone with rheumatoid arthritis. So big because you're so in danger of falling over and you're stiff. And if you fall over, you can't get up. That, if that's in a road and you fall over, you could be not, you could have a car and you can't get out of the way. If you're in an isolated place and you fall over, you cannot get up again. It's, you know, you could really have very serious health problems, not to mention which a lot of people have for arthritis have brittle bones and some are in danger of breaking bones, partly possibly, possibly because of drugs they're taking, partly because of milk they're drinking, you know, but they are in real danger of breaking bones. So falling is a big thing. I'm 63, 64. If I fall over, I'll end up in hospital, have a joint fixed with with a, um, uh, and I could end up in a, in a, in a wheelchair permanently. Oh, I forgot to mention I was in a wheelchair at my worst stage, but we'll ignore that. <laughs> I'll ignore that. Yeah, yeah, I can upload a picture of myself in a wheelchair because of just not being able to walk. I can walk short distances at my worst gauge, but if there's any distance, I've got pictures of me being pushed around by my friends uh, down in the south coast, get myself some fresh air. Wow. Uh, go to the seaside and have some fresh air. Mm. Um, yeah, so we had a wheelchair available to us for about three months from about uh, March, April, May, something like that. So not not good times. That's 2015. So we're now almost a year later. We're now uh, about 11, just shy of 11 months into the programme. And we're now able to get up and, and, and walk. The change in Bikram has been phenomenal, from Bikram has been phenomenal. I couldn't have got to Bikram without the diet. But the Bikram has consolidated health improvements all the way around. I walk and I, my posture, I didn't realise how bad my posture become. My wife told me about my posture. She said, your postures, you need to do something about your posture. Yeah. And I thought, no, I'm okay. But, but when you go to Bikram, you're in a studio with mirrors. And I'm looking at myself, and I'm looking at myself walking. And I'm thinking, I've got posture problems. <laughs> but those are disappearing really fast now. As I stand up, and I'm learning to lift my chest. I'm finding that my posture, my balance, my whole physical being, my, my whole body is, is coming into line. It's beautiful. My body's not, body's not beautiful. Anyone looks at my body, I'm not a sexy person. I'm a little bit overweight. So my, my tummy's out there a little bit. So, but hey-ho. I'm getting becoming very healthy, and people say to me, promptly they just prompt me and say, "You're looking so healthy." Every day I get a comment, "How healthy I am!" Just people walk up to me and say, "It's just I'm totally out of unexpected." I don't ask for them, don't talk to them. Uh, I just I can't believe it. Uh, I've never felt such energy. I'm getting up at five a.m. Not every day. But increasingly every day, once it was just once, and I thought, I can, I can do this again. And there have been some bad days, but I've got energy burn throughout the day. It's awesome. Yeah. Let's put this in perspective, right? The average 
person diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, this is the default scenario, is that they go on increasingly more aggressive and sophisticated life-threatening through side effects drugs throughout the period of having their condition, which continues to worsen because it is a, you know, progressive and aggressive disease. And the prognosis for their future is only optimistic if a dramatic intervention with drugs is involved. And and so the whole concept of even not worsening is hard for a lot of medical professionals to appreciate that if you don't get worse, well, no one just doesn't get worse, or at least if they're not getting worse, it's because of, again, very, very dangerous drugs that are required. Now, for a situation to not just not get worse, but to dramatically improve is quite astounding. And although I get very familiar with stories like yours, your the stories like yours are extremely uncommon within sort of the medical conventional treatment of the disease. And so I'm wondering, yeah, yeah. let's now... Uh, we've enjoyed, you know, the, a full version of your story. So now I just want to move across to uh, maybe some bullet points you can answer for me that I'm sure people are wondering. So what does your diet look like now? How are you going with your foods? Um, what sort of things, just a handful of things that you're eating each day before I then have some other questions for you? I went gluten-free. I'm beginning to reintroduce gluten. I've got plans on that to test my body. Uh, I've now started to eat normal oats. I was always on gluten-free oats over the last year, Mm -hmm. since uh, November 2015. I'm now eating normal oats, so Mm -hmm. I'm not worried about gluten in oats. I've had absolutely no reaction whatsoever. Awesome. Awesome. I want everyone everyone to listen very carefully to that. And there's a book called Eat Wheat, which has only been released a few months ago at the time of this recording. And uh, that particular book uh, goes into great detail about how Gluten can be a, a useful protein for the body and, and, and eating cereal grains is something we've done for a much greater uh, length of our human history and evolution than even eating meat itself. And the, look, there is a, a tremendous amount of science associated with eating cereal grains and their history and association with the human consumption. And uh, I think that unless someone is literally celiac disease, then all of them everyone who goes through the reintroduction process and heals their gut in the way that you are doing through our program should be able to at one point tolerate eating normal gluten-containing foods again, like I do. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for giving yeah. me that. Yep. So continue on with your other foods. So you've reintroduced So, that. so yeah. for breakfast today, I had porridge. Yep. Just simply oats and water. Mm-hmm. Do you flavor it at all? No flavor whatsoever. Okay. Uh, my my taste buds have changed beautifully, and I can enjoy just oats and water, no flavouring whatsoever. I what's don't need re- any sweetener or no salt. What's really interesting, Andy, is that I've noticed now, having had brought up a couple of kids, is that kids before they develop their their sort of adult taste buds and and sensations and desires around foods, both of our kids absolutely loved rice cereal which is just ground up rice and of course it's there's no yeah. flavors no preservatives no nothing it's just ground up rice in a box right and 
they could not get enough of it. And, you know, I always, even with my understanding of how these things work, I used to look at the kids and think, surely this, this little one wants maybe a little flavouring or should we do anything with this? But no, it would shock them when we would start to introduce, say, like mashed up pear or something. The sweetness was overwhelming. Um, but, you know, and I'm only talking, of course, up until, you know, one year old or so forth. But I just want to, you know, add that kind of perspective as well, that when we're really little, an unflavoured ground up cereal or, or rice grain is standard. Tastes great. Yeah. Yeah. Full yeah. of nutrition. What else do you want? Mm. Uh, anyway, so that's my breakfast. Yep. Uh, I make my own. Uh, if I ever have anything feeling like a flare um, or uh, some reaction to some food, then I would put turmeric and black pepper in it. Okay. My porridge. Yep. Uh, they're, they're my go tos for uh, if I've got any. That's one of my tools in my Shit. chest yep. for putting, fighting any kind of issues. If I'm stable, then just plain porridge. Um, for lunch, uh, I had a big pack of salad, Yep. fresh salad, bought today, and then some hummus and some oat cakes. Great. Doing well on the, uh, on the hummus. That's excellent. Yep. The hummus is uh, homemade, so uh, I make it all from soak my own chickpeas, boil them up. So the ingredients in the hummus are always turmeric, ginger, black pepper, some salt, because my wife likes the salt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, hope she's not hearing this. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with she it. She doesn't like the turmeric so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and tahini and cider vinegar. We, you're doing so great with those. So that's my right? kind of – so the great ingredients. And then because it looks beautiful, I dress it by sprinkling it with paprika and some olive oil. And just the mix on there makes it so attractive that it becomes irresistible. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what's a couple uh, of things? Couple of things I want to comment on there. Um, so you've graduated through the process to now be at a later stage where you're able to tolerate tahini and hummus, which is great because, as we know, they're high in fat, so they're going to give you a lot of calories. So that the net amount of calories in your salad is actually going to be pretty good. You're probably going to get without wanting to put a number figure on it, you're going to get enough calories in your lunch meal as if you would have eaten, say, you know, some kind of large amount of buckwheat quinoa rice or something yeah. because it's so high in fat. And yeah. that's a great sign about the digestive robustness that you now have as well. So that's really exciting. Also, that you're able to put it all on top of the salad means that you're getting all of that unbeatable effects of having the salad in your diet as well. So that's excellent. And the olive oil, when did you start being able to tolerate a little of the olive oil? Just, I mean, just, it's, it's just autumn, just a, a, a little bit on just top, just to help yeah. cook. Yeah. So uh, I don't ever cook with oil, yep. but, you know, if you're going to get any goodness from the oil whatsoever, then it has to be kept at low temperature. And uh, so just a little bit. Well, I'm very um, happy. I found I, I can tolerate it. Very happy that you can tolerate that. And if listeners are getting excited, wow, I can add olive oils. You heard what Andy said earlier about he had to eliminate the oils for a period of time. Um, oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. That okay. Trans that, that transformed me, giving him up. Mm -hmm. All right. And then um, what about? Uh, and then for, for evening, just fruit. Okay. 
just fruit, just a okay. banana, pear, apple, whatever there's around, perhaps yeah. some dried fruit. I'm mm-hmm. getting heavily into soaking fruits, uh, soaking dried fruits. So I've uh, some of those in the fridge, ready soaked with turmeric, spices, cinnamon, mace, or nutmeg, all the nice, beautiful things. So I can add those sometimes to my porridge in the morning, but they're always there in the evening as well as an alternative if the fruit bowl's empty. Awesome. Okay, so by having a really light, fruity evening meal, it means that digestion requirements settles uh, down very, very easy. It means, you know, you basically all that fruit will have passed through your stomach and into your small intestine within an hour. And so your body has a very easy job when you're going to sleep at night and doesn't have to, you know, concentrate on digesting food. So that's really, really cool. So I want you to now give us some tips for other people listening. You've you've come so far with, through this process. What are some common mistakes that you hear about that people make, maybe that you witness inside our forum that you find yourself uh, having to uh, more than once sort of uh, steer in the right direction? Are there some common mistakes or lessons you've learned that you'd like for others to take on board? The orals is the big one. The second is to listen to your body. I know that a couple of the people on the podcast have said this. You've got to listen to your body. Everyone's different. There are principles. The program is good. It works. But you've got to interpret it for your body. So there are some people who struggle, particularly in the early days. Perhaps they find some of the baseline foods difficult or unpalatable. They've got to trust their body, but they've also got to trust the program. I think a lot of people who may not be as successful as others are because they are not trusting the program. They are finding it difficult to migrate from their previous lifestyle, and they need the commitment to believe in the program. And if they get past the stages where they are going through difficulties, then easier times are ahead. Agreed. And you need to go through this program once. You don't want to repeat it. You want to go through it once and say, that's it, I've done it. So believe in the program, get through it, and then the rest of your life is ahead of you. You've got a great mindset with regards to applying commitment to something and putting your mind to it. Any other tips around that? Some of your thought processes that you might be able to extract and tell us so that others might be able to use the same thought processes. Giving up foods is difficult. Giving up cheese. Cheese is very addictive. And so I weaned myself off cheese, which I absolutely adored. I have no desire for it now whatsoever. And just no no, no interest in it whatsoever. I know the damage it's done to me. And I don't want that again. But I, I loved my cheese. I loved high-quality cheeses, French cheeses, you name it. And probably that contributed significantly towards why my arthritis blew up. But I would say restrict yourself to one type of cheese. Get rid of a range of cheeses. So, for example, I gave up old cow products and restricted myself to sheep and dairy cheese, sheep, sheep and goat's cheese. That was quite a good choice 
because they're more easily digestible by the body. The uh, fatty acid chains, whatever the term is, they're shorter, so they're more easy to digest. So anyone get, wanting to give up cheese and struggling, limit yourself to, to, just to sheep's and dairy and goat's cheese in the first instance. Um, but it's all that process of learning your body. I would have found it difficult. I, I now am happy eating porridge without any uh, sweetener, but some people need the sweetness. You'll just reduce it bit by bit. So you're migrating your body onto an easier path. But don't try and expect to perfection. You know, you need the taste. You need some people, a lot of people like saltiness. So use a thing like tamari sauce, which is gluten-free alternative to soy sauce, or something like that, or just use good quality salt to flavour things so that it becomes really enjoyable. And then as your taste buds change, you'll be able to reduce those salt levels, but don't expect perfection overnight. Make sure you enjoy the food. Good, good. That's, These are, that's my main tips. Okay. These are good transitional things. I'm so I'm like a uh, army military sort of guy who likes to have all of the uh, all of the troops really really regimented to get the greatest possible result. But often we have families to run, we have very busy careers to maintain, we have all sorts of demands upon us with traveling, and the sort of tips that you're able to give then are really good sort of transitional things for people to make adjustments for the better if they're uh, you know. Trying to uh, trying to create that balance. I'll just mention one more, if I may. Of course. Uh, my uh, wife really helped me. Uh, has been really supportive throughout. And what she did was because I couldn't get up into the high shelves in our kitchen, and I couldn't get in down to the low shelves. I couldn't bend down. So she sorted all the foods that I could and should eat to be easily accessible. And anything that was wrong for me, she moved away. So I wasn't tempted by them. So the sugars went up high. You know, just anything that wasn't on my diet plan, she moved away. Um, just so that I, when it came to food time, I was able to go there and quickly choose. Because you've got to learn how new cooking techniques, how to cook without oils. And it's slow to do that. But if you're not tempted by a tin of baked beans that's all processed and got high sugars and high salts in it, uh, you're not tempted. I gave up potatoes and went for sweet potatoes and found them really lovely. You know, just all these things, just make sure it's all easy to hand. When you go to the kitchen, you've got an easy to prepare food. Awesome. I love it. That's another so fabulous. Yeah, that's another great tip. So um, we were going to cover a whole bunch of other things on this call. We were going to talk about how you're trying to uh, make change with the uh, national charity organization, <laughs> the NRAS or the NRAS over there in the UK. Uh, we're also going to talk about a lot of the uh, online forums that exist and, and the different opinions that exist and how we can all filter the negativity that exists online and remain focused on the truth and remain focused on ourselves and our health. What I like to say about forums is scepticism is a really useful tool that everybody needs. But there are techniques out there on the internet to solve 
uh, arthritic, arthritic problems, the Patterson programme is a phenomenally good one. And having blinkered views that stop people from seeing that it is actually working for a lot of people are not good. And some forums, online forums you go to, people just try and shut the subject down. They feel that they have to close the subject down. They're so negative about talking about people taking control of their own lives. And it's sad. By contrast, when people come onto the uh, Patterson Programme Forum, it's just a welcoming, embracing love for recognising that that person has made a commitment to try and solve their own arthritis problems. They come in and they, from the moment they walk in, they're given suggestions that are relevant to their personal issues. And just from a wide variety of perspectives of people who've going, going through or gone through the same challenges, so relevant and helpful all the way down the line. And that stays right through while the, that person uses that forum, day in, day out, whatever hour of day, they will get answers to questions. And no one is judgmental. If somebody wants to eat meat, if somebody wants to stay on a drug, no one judges them. They just accept them and say, just if you want to heal yourself, these are the steps that you need to consider. Mm. And it's your decision. Yep, exactly. And uh, you certainly are one of those supportive people who uh, come forward and, uh, and help all the newcomers and all of the long-termers as well. So I'm very grateful for your uh, your amazing contributions to the forum. Before we wrap up, where do you see yourself going in the next 12 months? Let's say we were to, to, to plan about rescheduling another chat in 12 months. What's a realistic goal for yourself that you'd like to, to, to sort of think about? Are you going to be, for instance, focusing uh, more on food expansion or uh, commitment to Bikram or what? tell us what, what's Andy going to be doing in the next 12 months, your major sort of goals? Uh, firstly, I've been really conservative on my methotrexate. I've not cut out my methotrexate yet. So I've got a, a, an immediate goal. I'm waiting on my next doctor rheumatologist appointment to confirm uh, my doctor's appointment is next week. My CRP will be normal. I can guarantee that. <laughs> awesome. uh, that's my confidence in understanding my body for the first time since I started to go wrong. At that point, I will be saying I won't come off my methotrexate. So that's one challenge. I'm reintroducing all the foods bit by bit. And I know I have tools in my armory to protect myself if I have problems from anything but I will be re-testing and then each one that causes me a problem, I'll reschedule for a year further down the line. So go through reintroduction tests, still eating a whole food plant-based diet, no processed foods, not going to go there on anything like that. So I have a goal in my own mind to be healthier every day. That is my stated aim in life. 
So whatever you see me like today, I can guarantee until the day I die, I will be a healthier person. I'll be fitter. My mind is sharper than it's ever been in my life before. And, uh, you know, just uh, I will be a healthier person. If I can help other people, I'm a great advocate for this program. I know the science isn't as rock solid as for drugs. It's not as such gold standard as yet, but it helps people. The evidence is building day by day. Everyone who goes through the program has such a positive experience that it's becoming such a, it's going to be a torrent of people saying, I need to do this program as they hear about it. Awesome. So I'll just be a better person. I'm at retirement age. Shall I end up with a job? I don't know. I think I've got a lot of other projects to do. Get down my allotment and dig my allotment over. It's sat there for two last two years doing nothing. If I can have a good summer growing some plants, that'll do me. Awesome. That'll be a good summer. Awesome. Well, that, that you know, puts a massive smile on my face. It's, it's so nice to listen to someone who, who is just so happy being themselves and so happy, you know, with a wonderful plan going forward, something to look forward to. You know, someone said that happiness is having someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. And you've got certainly a loving wife. You've got plenty to do right now with all the things that you've got going on in your life with your healing. And you've got so much to look forward to with improved health and more inspiration to others. Absolutely. Which, yeah. So I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have forty years. I'm gonna have forty years unless I get knocked over by a bus or similar. I'm I'm gonna have forty years of the best years of my life. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. That's a great way to end it. So thanks so much, Andy. This has been a lot of fun and I look forward to talking with you more online. Thanks very much. Cheers. Much appreciated for everything. Cheers now, Clint. Bye. You've been listening to the Patterson Program. For more information, visit pattersonprogram.com.